Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. And uh, today we will be going over our tiers and rankings for catcher and first base. But before that, we're going to talk about a little bit of trades that have gone down in our Dynasty League, um, all of which have been involving either myself or Matt. So we'll break down what the trades were, what happened, and why we did what we did. But first, let's welcome Matt. Matt, how are you doing? What is up, buddy? I'm uh, living life, excited for the new season of Call of Duty since it has consumed my life over the past few months. Very excited for a new map, Uh, new DMZ. For those of you that listen and also play Call of Duty, I encourage you to play DMZ because Richie's too busy with his new child to give that even a consideration. Um, I enjoyed a lot, but uh, also very excited for baseball. Thought ran across my mind today. How close we really are, you know, we were just talking a little bit about kind of our, our scheduled release here for uh, what's coming up over the next couple months. And pitchers and catchers are coming in soon, right? We, we have kind of the league sh- taking shape. Um, excited for all the new rule changes and what that might bring to the sport and how it's going to make it a little more enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes and how many extra stolen bases there actually are going to be with limited pickoff attempts, but we'll see how that, that plays into uh, everybody's value let's uh, jump right in because we got a long show i think um let's start off with uh all of the preseason trades there's been seven of them um we'll start off with the first one you acquired christian javier and got a gave up freddie freeman and robert hassel i personally think this is a steal because christian javier in our dynasty league is super cheap i think he's like 11 or 12 dollars in a 300 dollar auction format so matt um tell the listeners what you were thinking and how you got the deal done yeah i mean from a reality perspective i wasn't going to be able to keep or hold on to freddie freeman um it was going to be impossible you know uh, with the way i'm structuring my roster right now i have a 40 dollar justin verlander a 50 dollar uh garrett cole a 50 dollar franchise aaron judge you know half of my money is tied up in three of my best players so I needed to take a look at what I could really receive in value for a couple of the guys that I had to let walk, and Freeman was going to be one of those guys. And it was really unfortunate because, you know, obviously you'd love to hold on to Freddie Freeman, but my goal coming into the offseason was just to move him for the best value I could, and I really didn't think that Christian Javier was going to be a guy that I even had a chance at. And when kind of talks kind of came around, Javier was on the table. If you look at Javier in 2022, 194 strikeouts is really what kind of uh, was the, the selling piece for me. I'm, I'm looking for guys in my points league rotation that are going to get strikeouts because the question mark with the shift changes and, and what it's going to do to whip as well as ERA is, for at least for me, completely up in the air. Some people don't think it'll have a huge impact. I, on the other hand, do think it'll impact players quite a bit. Now, Javier is on, not obviously... Um, like Vasquez, he's not going to have the same ground ball rate, but those strikeout numbers at 194 last year were what something that stood out with me, and also the .95 WHIP. Uh, you know, I would expect that to probably sit around a 1-1 this year, especially again with the shift changes. But that was immense value that I thought I could get, especially at $11. I can hold on to him for a couple of years. When I lose Verlander next year, he can be a guy that I can hopefully rely on as a two-three starter in a points league, and to give up a, a guy that I ultimately was going to have to let walk in free agency anyways huge benefit and then trading robert hassel kind of sucked because i i have a a, i have a a liking to him Uh, i like the profile and we're going to talk about that profile here in a minute in another trade that i made but uh you know to be able to go out and acquire a top line starter uh, a great number two great number three in most rotations which in mine will be a number four was something i had to do yeah it sounds like a great great trade and it makes sense Let's move along to the next one, which is also you. I think you did it the exact same day, and you gave up Chris Sale for Nathan Evaldi. Yeah, and this was, again, this was I needed to move salary. You know, uh, Trey Turner wasn't going to be a guy that I could keep, and it's really looking like now Nathan Evaldi is not going to be a guy I could keep. But the whole purpose of this trade was to try to bring in an asset that I could also move at maybe a a lower uh, denomination financially, hopefully shop him around at teams that wouldn't be so scared off by the $50 price tag of Trey Turner. And Trey Turner is the best shortstop in the league right now. So if you look at that, you know, there was a lot of value there. But again, from a uh, salary cap perspective, teams have to be willing to take that on. And most teams, I think, were looking at it from a perspective of, well, we'll just go out into the draft and get him. And at the time, I wanted to keep Evalde, but, you know, I am choosing to keep Jack Flaherty instead. I, I do believe there's a bigger ceiling for Flaherty than there is Evalde. But I think this season, Evalde has, has great opportunity. 
in that uh, Rangers rotation. I think a change of scenery is really important for him. Um, and also from a perspective of, again, not being able to keep a guy. Trey Turner is great, but shortstop is very, very deep. And I feel like there are a lot of managers in multiple leagues now that are looking at, you know, Trey Turner, uh, Carlos Correa. Like, is it really worth burning in a points league a high-end draft pick or a high-end denomination of your your budget to go out and get a guy that doesn't really impact you with steals the same way he would in a categories league, right? Trey Turner in a categories league is pretty much a cheat code. We will see how that impact is this season with my expectation for an elevated level of stolen bases. But Evaldi had a good year last year, uh, only 109 innings. He had 103 strikeouts of that 109 innings, so a little bit under one per, per 9K. Uh, ERA was sitting at a three nine, uh, three eight seven, and a WHIP of one two three. So that those numbers really scream back of the rotation in a points league. Love it. You know, you you can ex- essentially expect this guy to go out there and get you some wins if he pitches two hundred innings, maybe one hundred and eighty this year because in twenty twenty one he had one hundred eighty two. Um, but for the most part, of all days, a guy that I think I could replace on the waiver wire week to week if I have to stream, and he will would slash will be a guy that would sit on my bench. So. I like the deal. No one bit on uh, on Evalde in trade talks. You know, we have about a month and a half left here. Someone may come calling once they realize pitching is very thin. That's great. Uh, great thought process. I do think you got your trades in mixed up a little bit because you traded Trey Turner to me um, and you gave a Chris Sale for Evalde. But let's just jump right into it. You traded Turner to me for Cole oh, Calder, yes. who I think you were sleeping on in our um, last podcast when we were talking about prospects we liked. I think you were holding out because I had Colton Calder, but you believe he's going to be this year's Michael Harris. I do like his profile, very similar to Michael Harris. I think he will have an impact. I kind of did this trade as just um, of uh, I had the itch to trade and I wanted to get in on the action. And uh, Colton Calder was a prospect that I liked, but definitely was taking up a spot on my bench. Um, and so I, I could deal with him. And I was like, I can see if I can maybe move Trey Turner, just like you did Freddie Freeman, which we'll just go right into that because that's exactly what I did. Two days after I got Trey Turner, I went ahead and went to the team with Josh Young and I traded Trey Turner to him for Josh Young. So now I have a $6 Young third baseman, Josh Young, is a guy I really liked. I wanted to grab him in the draft last year, and then he tore his labrum, I believe, in his shoulder. So that hurt me a lot, um, completely ruined my plans, and I just was like, okay, he's going to sit um, on the bench, picked him up, put him in the aisle, and then it turns out he wasn't eligible for the aisle, so I had to drop him because he was just a wasted roster spot with hopes that I could pick him up at the end of the season and stash him and, pick, and uh, keep him. Unfortunately, the team I just traded with grabbed him before I could and that was a dagger in my heart and it uh had a sour spot in my mouth this whole offseason but luckily he also had Gunnar Henderson and Cabrian Hayes so I knew he had a surplus of third baseman so I spun it he didn't need him Trey Turner he's lacking in shortstop um Trey Turner's the best one he's got the salary cap to take him on and ultimately it must have worked because he accepted the offer um, before we move on to the next one, Matt, any comments on uh, these these trades we just I just mentioned? Yeah, um, you know the sale trade for me was hard because I've I've held such value for sale, but at twenty seven dollars with you know the repetitive injury history, and ultimately I think Boston's going to be a bad team this year. You know if you look at that roster and what the expectation is in that division, it, it, to me it looks like bottom of the division type of talent. I think they at least finish fourth. Sale was a guy that for $27 I had to let walk. Um, and ultimately, again, getting a Valde and, and ultimately not being able to do much with him. But the Colton Kowser trade for me was the profile that I spoke about a little bit earlier in the show. I'm looking for guys that can do 2020. I'm looking for guys that can hit 280. You know, constant at-bats with ability to make an impact. Because when I look at the last five-year stretch of my fantasy, especially Dynasty Points League, I've had issues in August and September is with guys that cool down. You know, even Aaron Judge last season wasn't providing me the return that I necessarily needed on a week-to-week basis at the end of the season. And I need guys in those positions surrounding Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez that will always, always give me at least a few points so that I can kind of make it through a week stretch. Um, and I really do think that profile of Colton Kowser is exactly what I'm looking for. So, yeah. 
I definitely agree with that. Whether he starts on my team or he ends up being a trade piece, because I have a lot of those guys. You know, I have a lot of the Colton Cowser profiles. Um, I think those guys, Michael Harris, proved that last year, are starting to become more and more valuable. Okay, one of them's got to hit, right? All right, we've got three more trades before we get into our ranking, so we'll go through these a little more quickly. I had Wander Franco, and I traded him for Nathaniel Lowe. This one... I feel I could have got a little bit more value for Wander Franco. He is a $16 shortstop going into his second to last um, contract on his keeper budget in our league. Nathaniel Lowe is an $8 keeper. Um, essentially, I was trying to get the most value I could for Wander Franco. Nobody was biting on it. Um, doesn't really produce much power, but he's going to give you batting average, and that's not really what our league is set up for. So I ultimately settled for Nathaniel Lowe, somebody who I do like. Um, I know he's on a lot of bus uh, lists for experts because he is within the top 100. Batted right around 300 with around 30 home runs last year. I don't think that's ultimately what he's going to do moving forward. I think that's his best possible outcome. I think he's more of a 270 to 280 hitter and produced probably between 20 and 25 home runs, which, hey, I'll take it for a utility spot. Moving on, the next trade was also me. I traded away Carlos Carrasco, who was $8 for me, and a $1 Gavin Stone prospect pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers for Eloy Jimenez. Um, this one's kind of got a lot of factors going into Eloy Jimenez is going to be $26 on his last year of his contract, so I knew this team could not keep him. Um, they ultimately juiced me for what they could because they knew they couldn't keep him, but they knew they didn't want to give him to me. So I had to spend Gavin Stone having the low CRA in the minors, pitching for the Dodgers, and then Carlos Carrasco was more or less a throw-in for this piece. Um, it did hurt to give up Gavin Stone. Uh, I do like him a lot. He's got one of the best change-ups in the game. Um, other than that, he's got just average pitches, um, but he does have great command, so I do love that. We've talked in the previous podcast how when I'm looking at pitchers, one thing I look for is can you command the strike zone? And then let's move on to the last trade, and it's between you and me, Matthew. And I traded you Jordan Lauer, shortstop for the Arizona Diamondbacks, for Ryan Helsley, a relief pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, we each have our reasons. Uh, I think mine is pretty obvious from previous podcasts. I talked about how much I like Ryan Helsley. Throws a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. I actually picked him up, then dropped him when he was – splitting time in that closer role. You ultimately picked him up when he took it over from Giovanni Gallegos. I believe he's, I don't want to say the next Emmanuel Class A, but Emmanuel Class A light. Throws that immense fastball, reaches triple digits. I like that, especially for a closer. And ultimately, I like Jordan Lauer, but you know how I feel about shortstops. They're a dime a dozen. You can find them all over. I Marco Luciano traded him for, I don't even remember, maybe Carlos Correa. Um, but I currently have Francisco Lindor, and I I feel I can find another shortstop prospect that's going to flourish. Matt, I kind of went through those pretty quickly. Any thoughts on those before we move into our rankings? Yeah, I think Wander Franco's value in our league was it was a really hard piece to move. Um, he was one of the last tiers before we implemented the rule change where if you held on to minor league players with no major league appearances, they no longer occurred a year-to-year -year $5 uh, increase until they hit the majors. So he was stuck on a team, I want to say three years ago, four years ago now, in the minor leagues occurring that $5 kick. So his contract started really before you got to see the value of him returning um, production to the field. And coming in at $16 this year and going into next year with his final contract year at $21, he's just not producing that on the field yet now i do think he will return that especially this season i think we will start to see the breakout of wander franco um but again when you're talking about value and you're talking about shortstop position being so deep it was a deal that ultimately had to be made for your roster it was a deal that ultimately needed to be made by the other player who who needs kind of a revigoration in their in their roster and their construction you know, hopefully if Franco can go out and perform at a $16 rate this year, can go out next year, perform at a $21 rate, and ultimately be a franchise player at $50 and be an absolute world beater. Um, Lord knows my Wander Franco merchandise signed memorabilia needs it for the return I want. Um, but I, I did like that trade. I liked it for both sides. 
Uh, and then, and then ultimately looking at the last trade that you and I made, um, I like Ryan Helsley a lot. My concern is he doesn't throw a cutter. He throws 103 mile an hour fastball. At some point, my concern leads to injury. And if I look at the construction of what the Cardinals have done with that bullpen, I also do not think the job is solely his. Uh, last year, there was a couple other players that were able to kind of weasel their way into saves. Uh, Helsley was very good in multiple inning stretches. If you think about when Josh Hader was kind of in that similar role. And I'm curious to see if St. Louis utilizes, utilizes Helsley in, in high leverage situations as opposed to just being the closer. Also, outside of those things, $6 for me was very important. Again, with the way I've constructed my roster, it's very tight. I have a lot of high-end money. I needed that $6 in order to keep a couple players that I really, really valued, one being Vinny Pasquantino that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. And I looked at it from a perspective of I can go out and probably find a Ryan Helsley this season, maybe not the same talent level, maybe not the same ability, but maybe the same volume and the same numbers uh, in fantasy. And I would like to take that risk over losing a guy like Vinny P, who I just don't think I can find on the waiver wire. Um, so I do like Helsley. I like the deal for you. I think it was great for you in the way that your budget structure. I thought it was good for me. I think I probably gave up the better player currently. Now, I also think Jordan Lauer is going to be the best out of the uh, Marcel Meyer, Jordan Lauer draft. I think Lauer ultimately has 30, 15 upside with a 280 batting average. He is essentially my shortstop of the future. And kind of you said it, you picked up Helsley and liked him. I wanted to pick up Lauer. Just didn't get a chance. You beat me to him. So we really kind of corrected uh, our own mistakes from last year. And I, I do think it benefits both of our rosters. Now, I will be going into the season with two RP positions at a dollar. So I will be scavenging the wire, moving pieces, uh, much like I did last year. But again, by the time September hits, by the time playoffs hit, I do expect to have two guys that I at least can rely on 15 points a week to not completely you know tank my my entire roster construction definitely a win-win for both of us and i do like jordan lauer i think he's more 20 25 home run but i do like him hitting 280 and getting 15 to 20 steals and the thing one last thing before we move on to the rankings with relief pitcher i get what you're gonna do but i hated doing that last year of constantly looking for the next reliever and streaming them and wasting fab. I'm just trying to pick up the, the hot guy. I just hated that. So now I have three relief pitchers in Jeffrey Springs, who's a spark. And then I have Felix Bautista and Ryan Helsley. So even if one of them doesn't pan out, I'm going to have options. And if they all pan out, then I can move one of them to you for Colton Kalliser <laughs> well, yeah. Lauer at the end of the year. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, this is the beauty of, of doing a fab system, especially in a dynasty structure, you know, because you have to choose. You have to choose how you're constructing your roster, right? This year I'm choosing to keep Vinny Pasquantino and Spencer Torkelson. And if you were really look at it on paper, it's like it's a no-brainer. You want Helsley, Helsley over Torkelson, right? We, I don't think anyone would disagree with that, especially we'll just say redraft. But when you're looking at the availability of the number one overall pick, having a bad year, letting him walk, maybe he rebounds and he's the guy you want, and now you're kicking yourself because you didn't keep Torkelson over Helsley. And it did suck last year having to fight the waiver wire because I had to get Helsley. You know, I let Classe walk the season before. Um, and I think that exact mentality is why I was so willing to trade Helsley because I had Classe. I had Helsley. You know, there are always a guy out there, and the way I've constructed my roster – from a 30-point perspective, we'll just say that 15 each from both RP um, spots, I've given myself enough cushion with the way I've constructed my roster to take that ding at least for six to eight weeks. And you said it perfectly. At the end of the day, if six, seven weeks in, we've got a team that's one in five and they're already a little concerned, we'll start to have these conversations of some of the prospects that I am high on but willing to trade to go out and acquire a guy that I have a little more confidence in um, you know, we will get to the RP position down the road with our rankings, but this is something very solidified. The SPARP role this season is terrible. So it's really going to have to be probably mid-tier relievers that I'm hitting on too. I have a couple of guys, you know, Adrian Munoz from Seattle Mariners who probably won't close. He might just be a guy that I stick in my RP slot because I really like him and he gets me strikeouts, you know, and I'll get eight to 10 points a week. Um, it's going to be a battle for sure, but uh, definitely a role I'd rather be filling than you know trying to find my starting first baseman. Yeah, I'm curious to see how we we talk about relief pitchers and who might blossom when we get to to those rankings. All right, let's move on now to our catching rankings. So, Matt, I've got my rankings and you've seen them. Um, I've got one through thirteen with one sleeper highlighted for now. 
kind of broken down by tiers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my first two tiers, which is my top five. And then you'll give your top five, and we'll talk about them. Which guys we like, which ones we think are going to produce, and go from there. How's that sound? Love it. All right. Number one for me, in a tier of his own, JT Real Muto. I did not expect a bounce back from him last year, and man, I wish I didn't trade him. He started off real slow, and he ended up real hot. Ended the season with 276 batting average with 22 home runs. And let's see, he had 84 RBIs and 75 runs. Getting that out of a catcher position is unheard of. That's unreal. I don't think, I mean, he beats father time itself. All right, moving on to tier two. Two through four, uh, five, I have Will Smith, Dalton Varsho, Adley Rutschman, and Salvador Perez. The ones that probably are against what other people have is Adley Rutschman. I'm really high on him. I think this is a can't-miss prospect, and I think the guy's the real deal. Matt, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, I love Rutschman. Um, I think, you know, he occurred what a lot of minor league players do coming up to the major leagues, which is a bit of a struggle. And if you look at his overall slash line, though, at 13 home runs, 42 RBIs, 70 runs, and 65 walks at the 254 average, you're really seeing something that could blossom into something special. And I, I liken any of the guys that came up last year in their rookie positions to have a much, much better season. Rutschman's going to be one of those guys. Obviously, Melendez will talk a little bit, and is going to be one of those guys. But Rutschman should be our prototypical number one one catcher moving forward for the next 10 years. That's my opinion of him. This season, I still give that to JT, but I think we see Adelie finish in the top three in catchers this season, and moving forward, he will be the guy every single season in tier one of his own by himself for at least the next five to six years. Oh, absolutely. And I maybe I'm a little conservative because I have him ranked fourth, but I have Will Smith ranked ahead of him just because he had a, a better batting average at 260 and had more home runs with 24. And then Dalton Varsho, just for the simple fact he's playing outfield, and those counting stats alone are going to outproduce the other guys. Matt, why don't you go ahead and give us your top five? Yeah, so uh, same as yours, JT Ramuto is in a tier of his own. He's one of one in the catcher rankings. He was also a guy in any drafts I will not be getting because I am not willing to spend at that third, fourth round uh, position for a catcher, especially when there are other guys on the board. Uh, you know, he's he's great. But for me, I would rather have any number one of these players because of the value that they produce at their slot in the draft. But JT is a guy, again, that provides those stolen bases. Now, I think it was 21 of 22 he stole last year, so he only had one uh, caught stealing. I do expect those numbers to drop a little bit. Now, I do expect him to possibly run a little bit more. Uh, his sprint speed was in the 86th percentile, so you have that as well. He still has the legs underneath him. Do we expect for that to drop off with the, the year of age? Probably a little bit. Uh, but the talent level is there. I have changed my rankings quite a bit, though, as we drop into Tier 2. Then you have I have Dalton Varsho, number 2. Uh, Dalton Varsho last year, big season, 27 home runs, was able to steal 16 bags, is going to play outfield. You mentioned that. I really like that. I, I'm curious to see if he loses his outfield eligibility because you do have Danny Jansen and you do have Christian, uh, oh, excuse me, Alejandro Kirk in that catching position. So will Varsho get the 10-15 appearances behind the plate that will allow him to go into 2024 as a catcher? I don't know. Um, so this might be the last season that we talk about Dalton Varsho as you know a tiered player in the catcher ranks. But I think when you're talking about 140, 150 games as a uh, catcher, you're talking about immense value, especially in points leagues. And that is how I structure these rankings. I would expect him to have another 22, 25 home run season. Probably elevates that batting average from 235 to the 250 range. Probably has 20 stolen bases. You're going to be talking about the third catcher of all time to possibly do a 2020 season. The other two being uh, Ivan Rodriguez and obviously JT from last year. Moving on, number three, I have MJ Melendez. Um, I'm definitely a homer pick here because I roster him, but I look at his 2022 season as a bit of a failure, batting 217. Did show the power, though, at 18 home runs, had 66 walks. I really, really, really like a bounce back from MJ, especially with him playing in the outfield almost predominantly. And then, you know, spelling um, uh, Salvador Perez on days that he needs to take a rest. So I do think MJ keeps his catcher ranks going into 2024. That's another reason I'm ranking him high. Uh, I think he probably bats 230, 240 this season, which is a significant jump for him. But he had terrible luck against the shift last year with the high hit uh, velocity coming off the bat, the barrel rate for MJ Melendez. I think you're seeing a better batting average, and I think he could push 30 home runs this season. 
being in the outfield, this is a huge immense um, value for him. I am going to put him under Varsho, though, because he just has not done it yet. Varsho's done it. We need to see MJ do it. Uh, number four, I have Salvi Perez. I think we're going to see a bounce back from Salvi. I think they're going to be careful with his workload. I mean, if you look at his 2021, 48 home runs, 273. I can't forget about that. He had a down year last year at 23 home runs, 254. I think we're going to kind of see a median road, 26, 27 home runs from Salvi this year, probably in that 260 range. Uh, but he does fall underneath Varsho and Melendez for me because... You know, are we seeing the decline of Salvador Perez? I would rather take the high floor of Varsho and Melendez than what I'm looking for as a bounce back from Perez. And number five for me is Will Smith. Uh, I think at this point, I'm willing to drop Will Smith down because we know who he is. 2021, 25 home runs, 259. 2022, 24 home runs, uh, 260 average. Three stolen bases, one stolen base. You know, sitting around 70 runs, sitting around 55 walks, around that 80 RBI range. Great. But at the end of the day, we know who he is. And the, the clock is uh, ticking for him as well. The, the Dodgers have an immense catching prospect coming up probably at the end of this year going into 2024. And I think at that point, Will Smith will start to lose playing time. And also from the DH perspective, the Dodgers have so many pieces moving on that roster. I don't know that Will Smith will always get the call when he has an off day to play in that DH role. So really for me, playing time as well as consistency for Will Smith drops him below Salvador Perez. Okay, I like I like most of your your rankings. I I do want to just challenge and just ask you with MJ Melendez. If you're hoping he's batting two thirty and two forty, and you're hoping he bats thirty home runs, why wouldn't you just rank Salvador Perez and Will Smith ahead of him, who you know are going to bat two fifty, two sixty, and provide you that twenty five home runs? Because I think there's a very good chance MJ Melendez has close to forty home runs this season. Um, I think you're talking about immense power that we haven't fully seen on display yet. And if I'm going to take a catcher who's going to make a grave difference in my lineup, I'm going to take a guy like MJ Melendez because I look at this too from the perspective of who do I want? Not necessarily where do I think they're going to be drafted. You know, when I look at the board, it's like I want Rhea Mutal first. I want Varsho second. I want MJ third. Now, I know I'm going to get MJ at probably the 11th rank in terms of draft. So I'm okay waiting. So to me, that also pushes him up in value because I'm looking at it from how much am I going to have to spend. So you're getting the immense upside that I'm expecting for a much lower cost. And again, these are my rankings. So I, I want oh, MJ. No, I agree. I want I MJ. Like, I like mm -hmm. MJ. I just wanted to, to just have you break it down a little bit more for the listeners. Well, yeah. And dude, it's hard because, you know, I like Perez and I like what Will Smith is Mr. Consistent. You know what you're going to get. But the problem is come August, come September, I need these guys to provide me points in the playoffs. Right? We're doing two week playoff stretches. And I can't afford to have Salvador Perez being rested in August and September. I can't afford for Will Smith to being rested for, is it Diego Castillo? Castillo? Cartaya. Cartaya. Diego Cartaya. Thank you. Um, I can't afford for the Dodgers to bring him up and warm him up for the playoff stretch. You know what I mean? Like, it would completely destroy me. So, Varsho and Melendez having that outfield aspect completely changes the game. Like, I know even if they're not, say Melendez is still hitting 217. I know he's out there five, six days a week. Like at batting 217, it's still probably moderate to what Will Smith is going to do in four games. And I, I, I just think from, from an industry perspective, people are really sleeping on Varsho and Melendez as a massive impact with their outfield production. While Salvi is going to probably take a little bit of a step back this year because he's a little older. And Will Smith is great, but just it's boring numbers to me. You know, like 25 home runs is great, but those, those have come in stretches throughout his career. We've seen that as owners of him. And I need I need more of an upside play. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to my next tier, and it's ranking six through nine. And most likely, in redraft leagues, a catcher that I'm probably going to take is going to be in this range. At number six, I have Alejandro Kirk. Started out amazing, had a little bit of a cold streak, and then finished pretty decently near the end. Following at number seven, I have Wilson Contreras, now with the St. Louis Cardinals. And number eight, William Contreras traded to the Brewers. I love that, especially playing in that ballpark. And then at number nine, I have MJ Melendez. Um, and pretty much the reason why I have MJ Melendez lower in this tier is just because he hasn't done it yet. I do think he can hit 230, 240, maybe even 250 at his peak. And I do think he has 40 home run potential, but he hasn't done it yet. 
and so that's why I can't rank him that high. Alejandro Kirk, I have higher. I think he's going to be a 280, 290 hitter. I don't know if he's going to hit more than 15 home runs. But you know what? At the catcher position, I'll take a high batting average because you're either going to get the high batting average in counting stats or you're going to get somebody who's going to bat 200 and maybe hit 20 to 30 home runs. Wilson Contreras is a, a prototype for that. He's had his batting average drop um, significantly. And then William Contreras, I like him a lot. This is a guy I could see push into Tier 2 if he has a breakout that I'm thinking he's going to have with the Brewers. You look at Omar Narvaez in the past. He has Monty Grandal. When they signed with the Brewers, they had an influx with their stats. Um, not crazy, but they did perform better than what they're used to. Um, having said all that, Matt, what does your Tier 3 look like? Yeah, Adley kicks off tier two, uh, tier three for me. Excuse me, at number six. For um, I think again, Adley's going to have a fantastic season. But as you kind of talked about with the Melendez, Melendez comp, there, he hasn't done what I expect him to do yet, and he doesn't have the same ceiling that I think Varsho and Melendez have playing in the outfield. Now, I do think Adley probably hits on 150 games this season because if he's not playing at the catcher position, I do expect him to be DH. But again second year i want to see that power kind of translate i have not fully seen the power translate um, minor league major league levels that i have seen it from melendez so that's where adelie kind of falls in for me i think he's ultimately going to be a better version of will smith this season you know probably hit anywhere from 22 to 28 home runs possibly bat 270 275 push will smith but again will smith has done it i want to see adelie do it I would probably draft Will Smith if I had a choice between him and Adelie Rutschman and I was choosing to draft catcher. Uh, coming in at number seven is Wilson Contreras. I think you said it best. We know who he is now. Uh, over the last three-year average, he has had a 242 average with 17 home runs, 46 RBIs, 39 walks, and three stolen bases. Had a really nice start to his year last year and then completely cooled off. There were a lot of reasons as to why, but at the end of the day, he kind of fell right in line with what he has done. And I think he is a poor man's Will Smith, ultimately. If you look at the numbers, that is what he is. Uh, moving on to his brother at number eight, William Contreras. I think you said it best. I think this will be the best Contreras brother. He had 278 last year, 20 home runs in limited playing time. Uh, the Braves chose to, to start Travis Darno over him a lot, and I think that was a defensive choice. And it will be interesting in all of these rankings to see how the new implemented rules and more of a run game, more of a stolen base game is going to affect some of the playing time of these players. Uh, because, you know, as there's more offense in the game at the catcher position, that also means that there's not as much development from the defensive side. So I do worry about William Contreras and his defensive ability. We will see that on, on display in Milwaukee this year. And can he stick behind the plate uh, in regular playing time if he struggles with that? Do expect him to have a great season, though. Uh, I am a little bull, uh, a little hesitant on what to expect from him, though, because again, limited playing time in a great Braves lineup. Will that translate to Milwaukee, or will we start to see some of that uh, some of that ability slip away because he's playing more? Number nine, I have Alejandro Kirk. Uh, love the ability from him. Love the the upside in terms of batting average, but he falls underneath the Contreras brothers just for that power and like a little bit more power. Um, and in all reality, I may have to adjust my rankings. I think I would probably have Kirk over Will, uh, Wilson Contreras, but right now that's how I have it. Do expect the same batting average, maybe an increase in power, maybe 17, 18 home runs this year. But again, how much does Danny Jansen cut into that playing time? If Danny Jansen was real last year, Danny Jansen will be splitting a lot of that time with Alejandro Kirk. Alejandro Kirk is the better defensive catcher, though. So kind of based on that conversation I just had, you might see Danny Jansen lose playing time, maybe play more DH if Brandon Belt is hurt because you have uh, more of a defensive emphasis. And then number 10, I have Sean Murphy. Uh, Sean Murphy burned me badly in the playoffs last year, had the best stretch of his season in playoff baseball. And leaving Oakland, it should only benefit him. But now he runs into the same problem that Contreras did, which is you have another catcher behind you in Darno. Will be interesting to see how Murphy is affected by that. That is why he falls to number 10 for me. I like that. And I have Sean Murphy in the t next tier um, for the same reasons you just mentioned. I think he's also going to be splitting time with Travis Darno. And I think he's more of an offensive catcher rather than defensive. So let's just hop right into my final tier. Um, 10 through 13 for me, I have Tyler Stevenson, catcher for the Reds. Had a limited time last year, but when he did play, he hit over 300, 319 last year in 50 games with six home runs. 
do I think he's going to do that this year? No, but you are playing an American. What is it? American. Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but the Reds. Oh, Great American Stadium. Ballpark. Great American Ballpark. Thank you. Um, one of the best hitter friendly parks in the league, if not the best. Um, I think it will. The power will play. I expect 20 home runs. Do I think he's going to bat 319? No, but I think he's going to hit closer to. 250, 260, um, and he easily could jump up in these rankings, but it's one of those he hasn't done it yet. And he also has an injury track record. And number 11, Sean Murphy. I won't go too much into him as we just talked about. And then number 12 and 13, these are my reach guys. If I miss out on those top 11 guys, mostly in 12-team formats, you're pretty much just taking a shot in the dark on anybody anyways. So at number 12, I have Gabriel Moreno, catcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks now traded from the Toronto Blue Jays for Dalton Varsho. Gabriel Moreno was once a top prospect. I think he might even have had the top spot at one point. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. But either way, very highly touted. Doesn't really have much power, but known for his hitting ability. I'll roll the dice. If the Diamondbacks just traded for him and they need a catcher, I mean, they do have Carson Kelly, but you don't just trade Dalton Varsho away for nothing. And then at number 13, I have Francisco Alvarez, catcher for the New York Mets. Easily the biggest power in all of the minors right now. I think he gets a 70 or 80 grade by MLB. Um, It's just a matter of, is he going to play? There's some speculation he might make the opening day roster, but then there's been some word that, you know, the Mets want to make sure he's completely ready and can play full-time and not just get hindered by splitting time with Thomas Nito. So we'll see, but... That's somebody I definitely would roll the dice and take a shot on if I missed out on any of the previous catchers we've mentioned. Matt, what is uh, your final ranking, your final tier for catchers? Yeah, my final tier is uh, it's 11 and 12. It's Tyler Stevenson who you spoke on, and number 12 is Cal Raleigh. Uh, these are two guys where if I'm in a points league and I've completely punted catching, which I just don't see as a option. You know, I really think you said it best. I think 6, six through 10 is where I'm going to find value, where I start to see, okay, like the best player on the board is a catcher. I need a catcher. I'm going to take one of those guys. Now, you know, drafts shake out crazy. You know, there might be players at those positions where you're able to snag them. Maybe it's a relief pitcher. Maybe it's a a fourth outfield bat that you're going to use a utility and, you know, um, kind of shake against injury. Uh, If I have to take an 11 or 12 catcher, it's going to be Tyler Stevenson or Cal Raleigh. Cal Raleigh is the kind of prototype for what MJ Melendez should be against the average you know the average is just not there for cal rally he hit 211 last year um don't love that don't love the fact that he's catcher only now i do expect him to kind of shift in and out of the dh role this season but 27 home runs is pretty great from your catching position i do want to see that average uh, climb up a little bit but again he's a guy at the end of the draft that if i'm going to take a final catcher on the board i'm probably taking cal raleigh um, and I think you you brought it up best. You know, Alvarez is is starting to emerge as is ready in his time to come up and play. But big time concerns defensively. And it's interesting because they brought in Omar Navarez, and Navarez hasn't um, doesn't have defensive ability either. So you know, this catching backstop for New York will be interesting defensively. I don't know that it'll fully hinder Alvarez, but my concern with Alvarez is yes, the power is there. Do we see a similar profile to Gary Sanchez, though, where the strikeouts are high, where you know the bat velocity just isn't necessarily there at all times to catch up to major league hitting? Excuse me, pitching. I want to see him perform on the field. Definitely the number one catching prospect on all boards. Uh, for me, I actually have someone else. He would fall number two for me. I think the power plays, but I want to see that average as well. Um, so, kind of going into sleepers, my number one catching prospect is Logan Ohapi. I think he's going to be an all-around stud. I think he profiles very, very similar to JT Realmuto. If you look at his 22 uh, season in the minor leagues, he had 26 home runs, 78 RBIs, 102 hits, seven stolen bases, uh, 283 average. I mean, again, profiling to be your everyday catcher. And the big thing for Ohapi with me is there's going to be immense immediate impact with the Los Angeles Angels. I think he will start the season as their catcher. I think he plays in 120 games. This is a guy where if you're struggling at the end of the draft to you know pair somebody with a Cal Raleigh, you go, you grab Logan Ohapi because you know you're going to have a guy that you can probably funnel in there by the middle to end of April that's going to be your guy. 
And I do think we're going to see probably a 250, 260 batting average out of him right away with 15, 18, 20 home runs this season if he gets that opening day job. I really, really like what Logan O'Hoppy can do. Bo Naylor is another uh, sleeper for me this season. I think you could see him kind of funnel into that uh, Guardians lineup. Had 21 home runs last year in the minor leagues, had 263. Uh, he was a first-round pick. We need to see a little bit more in the average, and if the average can't climb, we need to see a little bit more in the power. You know, his brother is a guy we're going to talk about in a little bit here in first base rankings. But uh, right now, Bo Naylor is a guy that needs to see a little bit of an improvement. But I do think he's a guy to keep an eye on as someone that could provide top five value at the catcher position over the next five years if he can figure it out. And then finally, my last catching sleeper is a guy we talked about a little bit last year who was having a phenomenal minor league season. That's Andy Rodriguez for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, if you remember last year, Richie, he was tearing up the minor leagues. He ended up the season with 25 home runs, 95 RBIs, four stolen bases. His average was 323 with a 997 OPS. This is a guy to keep an eye on, not necessarily, I think, in redraft leagues this year. But if you're in dynasty leagues and you have the opportunity to go out and talk about Andy Rodriguez, he could be a guy that provides immense value. There's also conversation with him being split in the outfield. He did play a little bit of outfield last year, if I am correct. Um, I want to take a quick look at that. 2022 season, he played a few games uh, in the outfield. Yes. So they'll move him around. Uh, you may see a similar profile at MJ Melendez with Rodriguez. He might be a guy if those players are gone in dynasty leagues to go out and get before it happens so that you have that versatility at position uh from the catcher position moving forward for the years to come yeah no i liked everything you said there my sleeper was logan happy for redrafts and i before we hopped on the podcast for dynasty i had andy rodriguez for all the same reasons you mentioned um my only fear with rodriguez is as much as he probably is ready to at least see what he can do at the major league it's a pittsburgh Pirates. they're not playing for anything there's no reason to bring him up before they need to so unless he's batting 500 and triple a and has like 30 home runs i just don't know if we're even going to see him this year but like you said if you're in dynasty or keeper league, it's worth holding on to um yeah that's all, all i'd like to add to that i love andy um the the concern is uh you know you you have an organization that isn't in a window to per, to perform great yet right losing is only better for them and then the other massive concern was ultimately the fact that they drafted uh, Henry Davis first overall to be their catcher of the future. So I think that's why we started to see Andy Rodriguez being you know shifted around the diamond last year in the minors because the the, the truth is you're going to start Davis. There is no question about that. Davis is supposed to be their Adley Rutschman, right? Um, he will not be, but I think he'll be good. And Andy Rodriguez is going to have to find playing time elsewhere. But you're right. This year, I don't know that there's a lot of value there. I think Logan O'Hoppy is the guy to target oh, at the end absolutely. of drafts. Like, we loved what he did last year when we were talking about minor league profiles and some of the numbers we were seeing. He's, to me, he's the real deal. He might, I'm excited to see where he falls in rankings next year. I uh, really, really am. Yeah, we'll see. Let's move along to first base. And I'll start us off. We'll do the same, um, same thing. My tier one consists of two guys, and it's pretty easy, Vlad Guerrero and Freddie Freeman. Freddie had a little down year as far as home runs goes, but you know what you're getting from these guys. They're old reliable. Vlad Guerrero was uh, in conversation for MVP just two years ago, and he followed that up with another great season. I don't think there's much more to say about this. If you're listening to this podcast, you know who these guys are. Not much more we need to talk about. I'm going to move on to tier two, and it consists of three guys. we got Paul Goldschmidt. Pete Alonso and Matt Olson. Paul Goldschmidt did amazing things last year, and I think he's going to do great. I don't think he's going to be the best first baseman like he was last year, so that's why I rank him third. And those Pete Alonso, Matt Olson, you know what you're getting out of them. Um, they're essentially the same guys in my mind. You know they're going to bat between 250, 270, and they're going to hit maybe 30 to 40 home runs. Um, pretty consistent. Um, I that's pretty much my tier two, Matt. Why don't you take it away and tell us who you got? Yeah, I have the same tier rankings you do. Freddie is number one for me. Vlad's number two. That's tier one. You said it best. We don't really need to go into detail about that. We know who these guys are. Tier two is very similar. Paul Goldschmidt comes at number three, MVP season. Um, I like him just a tick over Pete Alonso. And I think this is the last year I say that for the simple fact that I think Goldie is in a great lineup. He has good momentum coming off the MVP you know, we did feel a couple of years ago that Paul Goldschmidt was losing it. Lo and behold, he wins MVP last year. 
Uh, Pete Alonso comes in at number four for me. He has been Mr. Consistent lately. Uh, I think, you know, you know what you're getting from Pete. I don't know that we'll see a 50 home run season again from him, but I would love for that to happen because that would shoot him up these tier rankings. That would challenge Vladimir Guerrero, but we would need to see an increase in power for Alonso to push Guerrero at that number two position. Um, and then number five is Matt Olson. This is where the teardrop ends. This is where we see a significant shift. Matt Olson now could be in conversations for tier three come the end of this season. I think that's industry standard, industry wide. He really needs to get the power back and he really needs to get that average up just a little bit. I do expect with the shift being um, taken away, we will see an increase in his average though, which I think will keep him in tier two. But if he puts out similar numbers to what he did this past season, guys like Jose Abreu and Vinny P may start to bleed into his tier. He might start to bleed into their tier. Yeah, I like everything you said here. Moving along to Tier 3, probably the range where I'm probably grabbing my first baseman. Number 6, we have Jose Abreu. Number 7, Vinny Pasquantino. And number 8, Nate Lowe. If I'm targeting a guy, it's Vinny P. Um, the upside is immense. Known for his hitting, his plate discipline. I think people are over-evaluating his home run potential. I think he's going to be closer to a 2025 home run type guy rather than this 40 home run guy. I could be completely wrong. Jose Abreu, I've ranked ahead of him just because you know he's going to hit 300. And, you know, he had a, a drop in home runs last year, but he's playing for the Astros. So I'd like his RBI and run potential in that lineup. And Nate Lowe, I mentioned about him earlier. I think he's going to be a 270 to 280 hitter with closer to 2025 home runs. That's why I have Vinny P above him. I think Vinny P is going to have a higher average and probably has a better bet to hit more home runs. Um, Matt, let's go ahead and take away with your tier three. Yeah, we have the exact same rankings there. Jose Abreu at six, Vinny P at seven, Nate Lau at seven, uh, excuse me, eight. Um, Nate Lau, what, a, what an incredible season last year. 27 home runs, 76 RBIs, 302 average. Like when you and I were talking about this uh, probably a month ago when we were actually looking at what Lau did. I was kind of blown away that I didn't pay attention at the end of the year to see his climb. Um, I think this is this is best case scenario for Nate Lau. This is this is what we always thought would be like his ceiling. And I'm curious: is there more in the tank? You know, can we see 35 home runs? You know, can we see 100 RBIs? I think there's a chance. I think his ceiling has been raised, but I'm not banking yet that he will repeat these numbers. And that's why he falls under Abreu and falls under Vinny P. Because I also think if you're looking at what you want out of Vinny P, it's probably that this slash line with maybe more runs and maybe more RBIs. Um, because I'm in full agreement with you. I don't think Vinny P is a 40 home run a year uh, a season guy because I don't think he sells out for power. I think if he sold out for power, he absolutely could be. But what we saw from Vinny P last year and in his minor league uh, career was that he's a professional hitter. And professional hitters choose not to, you know, pull the ball when they when they would would normally um, get a double they try to go for the home run that was a terrible analogy but uh, Vinny P for me at seven is the biggest upside here uh, I do think there could be more power than we're projecting but I'm not going to project it I think um, kind of sandwiched in between Jose Abreu and Nate Lau is perfect again looking at the numbers Nate Lau had a great year but I'm not expecting replication from that so Vinny P gets that ranking just above him yeah I like it and I think around the league too, around the industry, I should say, these top eight rankings are almost universal. universal. I don't know yeah. if it's almost like a lock. It's almost guaranteed. Maybe after Jose Breu, some people could be lower on Vinny P, lower on Nate Lau, you know, higher on some other guys. So I could see it dropping off. But I don't think it's ever been a year where everybody's been like, these are the guys, they go in this order, no questions asked. I think it's pretty much a no-brainer. Um, it's this next tier for me. And I only have the top 12 ranked because after that, I had such a hard time. It's like these guys are almost all the same. They're in like a tier of their own. But I'm just going to go ahead and list my 9 through 12. It's CJ Crone at number 9, number 10, Reese Hoskins, number 11, Anthony Rizzo, and then number 12, Andrew Vaughn. CJ Crone I almost put in the tier above because he did hit 29 home runs last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 29 home runs with a 257 batting average. This is a guy we liked last year um, and even the year before, and he just has not produced the way we thought he would in Coors. I was expecting a 280, 290 batting average with 35 to 40 home runs. Now, those are lofty expectations. He did fall short, but he did 
have a reasonable um, stat line with 29 home runs and a 257 batting average. And the only reason why I ranked him lower is because I think that batting average is going to stay closer to that 250, 260 range rather than what I'm expecting out of Vinny P and Nate Lowe at that 270, 280 range. With similar home runs, that's why you drop a little bit lower. Reese Hoskins and Anthony Rizzo, they're the complete opposite. I think they're going to hit 30 to 35 home runs. But guess what? You're going to get a 220, maybe 230 batting average out of these guys with a lot of strikeouts. And then Andrew Vaughn, I have him ranked at number 12. This is a guy I like a lot. Um, you know, this is a top prospect. I think he has little minor league experience. He basically was thrown into the majors right out of, I think, college, if I'm not mistaken. And he still batted 271 last year with 17 home runs. I think he takes a step forward. And I might be a little bit too low with this ranking. I think he could jump up two tiers if he hits 270 and gets to that 30 to 40 home run mark. Um, before we move into sleepers, Matt, why don't you break it down? I think you have, what, 17? Yeah, 17 I have, I have 18. Base? And every everything you said through 12 is similar to what I have. I have CJ Krohn at 9 for the same reasons that you, know, you talked about Rizzo and Hoskins because I believe exactly the same. Uh, Rizzo at 10, Hoskins at 11, Christian Walker at 12, because ultimately if I'm at the end of the draft in 12-man league, I'm probably taking Walker over Vaughn because we've seen the 30 uh, home run power from him in multiple seasons now. But I do have Andrew Vaughn at 13. He's a guy I would absolutely love to pair with a Crone, Rizzo, Hoskins, Walker. Because I agree with you, he was drafted out of college high because of his hit tool. Not necessarily his power production, but his hit tool. Um, similar to Spencer Torkelson, you know, those guys were almost comparative, comparative to each other in a lot of ways. Vaughn has come up and actually showcased the ability to, to translate that hit tool, but he's also bounced all over the diamond. And this will be the first season now with Jose Abreu being gone that he gets to go back to his original position. I think that's very, very important for him and very big for him. He was a college first baseman. He will be a pro first baseman again. He will not be an outfielder. He will not be a second baseman. They will not play him at third base. Like He gets to play his position and just worry about that, which should alleviate some of the mental stress when in the batter's box. Uh, so Andrew Vaughn at 13, I'd love to pair him with one of these guys. Uh, and then we really have the start of the tier here. I, I would put Vaughn in the start of this next tier. Uh, with Vaughn at 13, Josh Bell 14, Ty France 15, Ryan Mountcastle 16, Jose Miranda 17, and Jake Cronenworth 18. All of these guys are going to produce similar outcomes for me. Um, doesn't really matter. You can take any of them. You know, if for any reason that guys have paired up on first basemen in your leagues, you can take one or two of these guys as kind of a safety net. But I expect, again, the same outcome for all of them. I think the highest upside is Andrew Vaughn, Ryan Mountcastle, Jose Miranda. Uh, Miranda's probably going to be taken as a third baseman, though. Just be aware of that with third base being so uh, so empty. Then we'll get to those rankings down the road, but Miranda will probably be utilized at third. Vaughn and Mountcastle, I think, to have the highest upside. We know what Josh Bell is. We know what Ty France is. They are Mr. Consistent with their numbers. Cronenworth, you know what he's going to provide you. Uh, but that's really the end of the tier for me at first base. Yeah, I like exactly what you said, and those were the hardest ones with Christian Walker. Is you know he's going to have that home run potential, and maybe maybe down the line we'll see. I could swap him out with Anthony Rizzo. It's, that's why it was so difficult that final tier. Is so many guys are interchangeable because you get a little bit more power, but a little bit less average. And it's like where do you find that line? What do you like out of these guys? But let's move along to sleepers. I've got four highlighted. These are guys I really like this year. Number one is Rowdy Telez. People are sleeping on him. The guy hit 35 home runs last year. I don't necessarily like his batting average. He's probably going to hit 220 to 230, but where he's going in drafts and what these um, projections are, let's take a look. Um, just CBS alone has Rowdy Telez projected for 22 home runs. The guy hit 35 home runs. Do you think he's going to drastically, I mean, I'm obviously I can't even come up with words right now. That's how... Um, dumbfounded I am by that. Moving on, Spencer Torkelson, I like a bounce back for the same reasons you do. Highly touted prospect. I think the pressure's off of him now after a year being in the majors. I think he can finally settle in. They've also changed the dimensions in Comerica Park. I think that's to help Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, and everybody else. Kerry Carpenter in their lineup. I think that definitely helps. And then the last two, these are going to be this year's Vinny Pasquantino and MJ Melendez, in my opinion. Um, and that's Matt Mervis and Frank Manzardo. Matt Mervis went on a 
crazy tear at the end of the season last year for the minors. This is a first base prospect for the Chicago Cubs. He started the year at high A and moved all the way to triple A. Over the course of all three of those levels, he bet at 309 with 36 home runs. And the most home runs he had was 15 at AAA. So it just shows you he wasn't getting stopped. I think he comes up. The Cubs did sign Eric Hosmer. I think that's just a stopgap to give Matt Mervis a little bit more time. And then Frank Manzardo, or Kyle Manzardo, well, not Frank. Um, this is a guy, he bet at 327 across high A and double A last year. So he's a little bit behind prospect for the Tampa Bay Rays. I like his hit tool. I like he's going to be a 300 hitter. He's going to have a little bit less power than Matt Mervis, and he does play for the race, so I'm not sure when he will quite debut. And with the Rays, we saw with Vidal Brujan, Juan Franco. Is he going to be in a split? Is he actually going to play full-time when he comes up? Those are my concerns. And for those reasons, that's why I like Matt Mervis a little bit more than him. Matt, thoughts on those sleepers? Did I steal any from you, and do you have any others? Yeah, I love Mervis. Um, I am concerned that Mervis might be the prototypical minor league number guy only. And I say that because the Cubs aren't gangbusters on this guy. When you look at what he did last year and the numbers that you read off, it's it's a no-brainer that he should be the starting first baseman opening day. Um, I don't understand it. I, I would be screaming at the top of my lungs that we have you know the next top five first baseman Pete Alonso in our organization. And yet they're kind of bold. They're kind of you know, soft on him with the, you know, he may not be in the minor leagues. So I'm curious to see if these numbers are going to translate. Um, and well, I exp- what, go ahead. What I've heard is that he's got defensive issues at first base. And so they're very concerned about him developing. Yeah. He's a good first base hitting obviously, but that's why they signed Eric Hosmer's help with the defense. So I don't know if he's going to be just limited at DH or if they just want to keep him down at triple a, manipulate his his time and also develop him defensively who knows well yeah that's hard i mean he'll be 25 years old in the middle of uh, april this year you know like not necessarily the prospect clock is ticking but like at what point do you just say he is what he is like he's going to be our dh like so be it right um and we're going to pair guys around him at first base to kind of make up for that defensive liability but yeah, I don't understand that. To me, he's a, a home run number one sleeper in reality. But again, the question mark with playing time. So curious to see what happens there. Kyle Manzardo, love it. Um, the fact that they spent a second round pick on him was big. He has blown through the minor league ranks since 2021. Did only play 30 games at AA last year. So I do expect him to get some pedigree in the minor leagues this season. And again, it's Tampa Bay, right? Like, does he start at AA, move to AAA, then come up in 2024? Are we talking about him like we talked about Mervis, this, like we are right now, where he, again, had a great season, and now we're thinking, do the Rays bring him up opening day of 2024? Does he come up middle of July to provide offensive pop for this team that should be fighting for the playoffs? I do think he is the Vinny Pasquantino comp. Obviously, very different body size, but when you talk to bat-to-ball contact skills, uh, Manzardo has it. And again, probably a little bit less power than Vinny P, but you're talking about very similar profiles there. Uh, Torkelson, I do expect to bounce back. I don't know what to expect. I could see anywhere from a 280, 25 home runs, 90 RBIs to a 250, 20 home run guy. You know, like we have to be curious enough to see what he turns into in year two after being demoted last year and then brought back up. I think there's a lot of different outcomes that could happen with Spencer Torkelson. Um, I, I think I would still rather have Torkelson than Matt Mervis though, but it's very slim. Um, Tristan Casas is also on this list for me, you know, for the obvious reasons, uh, prospect pedigree, playing time opportunity, being in Boston is going to hurt because it's a poor lineup. Uh, let's see here. Luke Voigt, I have listed as well. Luke Voigt, possible bounce back. If you're looking for possibly a utility guy in a deep, deep league, had 22 home runs last year, did bad a poor 226. Josh Naylor is another guy that I really look for to have a good season. We've been waiting for a breakout, breakout Josh Naylor season. Did have 20 home runs last year, almost 80 RBIs, 256. I think he has 35 home run upside. I always have thought that. Playing time has been a concern for him. I think he could hit 35 home runs, 280. Talk about a guy that you know shoots up rankings and then never repeats that. I'm waiting for that one Josh Naylor season where he explodes and then never replicates and then Joey Manessis, you know, if you're talking about real deep leagues, we saw this guy come up last year, have a 324 average, hit 13 home runs, 
for teams that had injuries or were just looking for utility bats that were able to grab him. They provided some, he provided them some value. Um, but again, deep league sleeper. Again, I expect also probably 280, 290 batting average in full season of play. Um, and he will be fighting void for playing time, you know, from first and DH. So we got a lot of guys at first base this season. I think when you talk about taking a Freddie Freeman, Vlad Guerrero, Paul Goldschmidt, Pete Alonso, after that, if you want value, you could really wait and pair up a Mervis and a Vaughn or, you know, a Mervis and a Walker and, and be comfortable with what you have. Yeah. And if I was in the dynasty league and I had Spencer Corpus and I for sure would not be keeping him. I just let him walk. <laughs> you would love that. Wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, I was really hoping that he'd have a horrible season and you'd let him walk. I, uh, I will let him walk if he has a horrible season again, you know, like, yeah, well at that point I won't be interested. Correct. You know, so like, if he does, if it doesn't happen this year, I I'm, I'm concerned that he's a bust. If this is the make it or break a year for me. I've never loved his owner. I've never loved his swing. I've never loved his swing. It's uh, and it's interesting to see what happens in his career, man, because he's got that he's got that Mike Trout swing without that Mike Trout ability. You know, it's very mechanical. Um, it'll be interesting twenty twenty three for him. All right, well, that wraps up our show. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll go over probably second base and shortstop on our next podcast. Take care.